Hello, friends. Welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Matt Slarchik and Peter Fendero. What's up, guys? We're a podcast where we tackle hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. We're going to have an awesome conversation today, guys. I'm really looking forward to it. But before that, if you're a new listener, thank you for coming. You guys are going to have a great listen. For returning users, thank you for listening. Keep doing, keep subscribing. And please give us five stars, guys. We have over like 3,000 downloads a month and only 23 of you guys gave us rating. We really appreciate if you guys smash that five-star button because it helps us rank in the algorithm. We appear on search more often and me and Petey get super motivated to keep on giving high quality content. Make sure you guys smash that and subscribe. Super duper motivated. And don't forget, we got a YouTube channel, guys. Same name, couple of nurses. Check us out. You can see how we actually look. I think I'm a pretty good looking guy, but you know, you, you can judge me in the comments, I guess. Yeah, I'd rate Peter pretty high up there, but that's for you guys to find out. So what are we talking about today, PD? Today, Matthew, we're going to talk about poop, the poop phenomenon, why our poop smells bad. We're going to go over some mistakes we've all made as a nurse, and we're going to talk about marijuana, what that means for you nurses out there. It doesn't mean much, unfortunately, right? But we are going to cover that. And rookie mistakes, we all do them. Me and Peter, me and Peter have great stories how we dive into just shit and learn so much about it with um, what happens and situations create you guys and they create you to be a better nurse. So it's okay to make mistakes. So as you guys all know, marijuana is greatly becoming legalized recreationally around our beautiful 50 states of the United States of America, but it is still federally illegal. So as nurses, where, where, where is the boundary? You know, you want to smoke the devil's lettuce, on a Sunday afternoon when you're off of work. What is, <laughs> what is that to you? Can you do it? Yeah, you could do it. But, you know, your employee might have a different opinion on that. So there's no laws or regulations stating that your employers should, you know, hire you or keep you, you know, um, employed. So there's no law stating that, hey, it's okay for nurses to, to not pass a marijuana drug test. Right, Matthew? Yeah, so be, there's zero tolerance, unfortunately, that all employers are um, reinforcing. Even if you have a medical card, like there's still zero tolerance. And if you pe- test positive, you know, you might lose your license. So I wouldn't recommend it. I, I think it's great what people are doing, the way it's treating diseases. But we as nurses, just like PD said, federal it's not federally legal yet. And it has come a long way, right? Like it was a controlled one substance as um, heroin. So finally kind of dropped down to where it's becoming legal. And I don't know how many states it is, but it's, it's, it's going to happen soon, I think, um, all over America. That's correct. I would, I would say my advice for you guys is to treat it like, like alcohol. That's, you know, have it stay out of the workplace. You wouldn't come to work drunk. Don't come to, to work high. If you want to smoke marijuana on your days off or outside of work, you know, more power to you. Go for it. If it helps you out in any kind of way, it is legal recreationally here in Illinois since January 1st. Hopefully, um, we're getting some nice tax dollars out of that, but, but we'll see. But you also got to be careful if you're looking for a new job or if you are you know, currently employed, but maybe there's a, you're going for like a screening of some sort that you don't want to you know, pee dirty. You don't want to have, have to do a urine test and sh- have a show up positive for, for marijuana. And that's something you, you could easily avoid by just not smoking marijuana for 30 days or however long. Um, whatever the, you know, the science shows. And the healthier you are, the quicker it could like 
dissipate from a urine if you were to smoke. And um, for those that are curious and do test positive, and that's a listener, there's a quick way to technically create a false negative on a, the drugs test. I would still try it yourself to see if it works before you go to a facility and do it. But you basically drink a gallon a day. And the reason how I found it is I read it has so much random crap. Uh, truck drivers do this. And I know a friend that told me about this. I'm like, sure, I'll look it up. I, I love the human body. They, I think they drink a gallon of water a day. They take like 20 grams of creatinine or creatine. And then they do vitamin B. So creatinine helps um, increase creatinine levels because you're diluting your urine so much, which um, is a test that they test for the urinalysis. And then you do vitamin B to kind of give you a yellow color in the urine so it doesn't look like it's completely diluted. There guys, where else can you learn how to pass a drug test and learn nursing, nursing content at the same time, huh? Nowhere else besides a couple of nurses, guys. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for tuning in for that one. Um, but ultimately, man, if I were in that situation, I think I would just refuse the test itself because if you, if you're, if you're a nurse and you smoke, like you're, it's not going to work out for you guys. Like it's zero tolerance. So you might as well just walk out of your job, man. Don't don't take the risk. Like you might be cool with your with your boss, but you know that goes that goes on your record. It's gonna stay with you. It's because your boss is cool doesn't mean he's, he's gonna let it fly. You know, so you, you got to be careful. And you know some employers, you know they don't always get along with their employees. I'm sure there's been times where someone's boss or someone's manager gives gave somebody a drug test because they knew they would they would pay, they would fail it just to get out of work. And they're a great nurse. I'm sure that has happened before. But I've been, I drove by uh, some dispensaries on my way home from the gym. And man, those lines are ridiculous here in Illinois. Those lines go like out the door and around the building's corner. These people are like desperate for this stuff. And I believe the, the stats show that I think Illinois made like $5 million. They They made more in a week off marijuana sales than Colorado did in three weeks. Wow. So it's definitely a hit in Illinois. I wonder if it's going to put people out of jobs, the people that are kind of like hustling the streets and making a living off this. I mean, the drug dealers and the drug lords. Yeah. Those guys, like, do you think they're going to still be out of a job or do you think supply and demand, like there's, it's going to be, cause I wonder if it's expensive or it's not worth it to even going to a, um, a pot shop to buy marijuana. I'm not sure. I haven't entered any um, any pot shops around here, but I'm sure there's. I'm not, I don't know how much it costs. I'm not sure if it's cheaper than your local dealer or not. But I'm sure if it's if your dealer provides it for uh, for less, I'm sure it's still gonna he's still gonna have some kind of a uh, a fan base for his for, for his stuff. But I don't know. Like a lot of people will complain about you know, marijuana being legal, but I, even if you're against marijuana, like look at it from like the taxation standpoint, the financial standpoint, it's actually not that bad of an idea, especially here in Chicago where we're like taxed, taxed to the neck. I'm hoping maybe these taxes off marijuana will kind of lessen the other taxes, which I doubt is going to happen. And like, I think Chicago is so silly the way it does things. So there's something called the amusement tax act. And if you play PlayStation, you have to pay a tax to Chicago that you like are playing online, which is ridiculous. So technically it's like going to the amusement park. They're using that as a loophole to tax poor freaking kids that are just playing PlayStation. It's ridiculous. So, I, so and like to answer your question, I think Illinois is not going to lessen other taxes. Like they just increase like the, the vehicle registrations and, all that. 
Hey man, but there is definitely like positives out of marijuana just because you don't want to do recreational. There's there are states that have it medically medically legal, where certain illnesses or certain diseases or disease processes are available to be treated with with uh, marijuana. Maybe you have a bad reaction to your anti um, seizure medication. Maybe you could try marijuana. Maybe that that'll lessen it. Maybe you don't want to get addicted to opioids or painkillers or you know, they constipate you too much or you just don't feel like yourself on them. You know, marijuana is an option for, for different types of types of illnesses and, and issues. And I think I was l- looking up a news article They're They're making an implantable THC. Like, you know, there's like pain pumps that stimulate like your spine and it helps with the pain. They're making like implantable devices where you plant the THC and it dissolves and treats like chronic pain that's there. So I think there's going to be some cool advancement, man. It's marijuana crossing over to the medical field. I mean, it's already like listed that it helps with like agitation for Alzheimer's. I'm sure um, there's a nurse that I know and her his wife takes it for bipolar. She stopped taking lithium and she's just on marijuana and it's helping her manage her bipolar. So that's so cool how we're finding these ways that are not pharmaceutical because pharmaceuticals aren't any better than recreational stuff as we know see my honest opinion with marijuana and other drugs is if it helps somebody like why not just make it legal and just even if it's like one percent or two percent or half a percent you know our our drugs that we give out now are the pharmaceutical industry it doesn't treat everybody or treat everybody but doesn't necessarily help everybody like why not let this be another viable option of, of, of treatment it's just marijuana gets like this association with like you know, like when you watch those commercials back in the day where, where um, I don't know, Sarah just like sinks into her couch and just becomes like, like brain dead. You know, that's, that's not, it's not how it works, man. It's not how, how, it's not how the, the, the marijuana affects you it, mentally. It's a bad rep that like marijuana developed over time and we all associate it. Cause it's like the power of belief, man, with mer- TV and isn't that crazy how like mind control works in a way? Like, dude, so basically whatever the TV tells you, you almost tend to believe. And marijuana had always that rep on TV that it's for like stoners and they're lazy. They don't do shit. They just eat and like watch TV. And we're all programmed to believe that. Look at our like parents, for example. What do you think they think? They think it's like the freaking the freaking sin, man. Like you can't be doing that stuff. It changes you as a person. And this is Polish, uh, Polish culture, guys, for those that are listening. That's true. It's the 20, 21st century. We're, we have the capabilities to genetically modify animals, DNA cells. We genetically modify a marijuana. The marijuana that we have now is a hundred times stronger than whatever they had back in the day. We can literally take two, two plants and, you know, combine them to make them work uh, in a specific way. Like we could genetically engineer marijuana to have it be more for pain or have it be more for anti-seizures or have it be more for appetite stimulation. Like we have the power to do this. Like there's different strains for, for different things. It's literally like, it's literally like a pharmacopoeia of, 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 of effects. They just, you just modify it whichever way you want. And look at like, for, for example, like fibromyalgia, I'm sure it treats like chronic pain like that. Cause there's people that or we're unable to associate why they're having chronic pain, muscle pain. And I'm sure it's related to so many things that I'm sure I could find online, but marijuana is a key for that one. So it's, it's interesting how we're using it with, um, with what's it called with patients, even like edibles, man. I wonder if they start giving edibles to like cancer patients to help with pain or something like that. Like it's all freaking coming, which is so exciting. 
It is. It's, it's cool. But for readers out there, just be careful. It's still kind of iffy. You don't want to be positive for, for marijuana because that could have negative outcomes. So just be careful. So take that three, 30 days off of marijuana if you're trying to start a new job. You know, and if you're somebody you do on your Sunday afternoon, just go for it. I mean, as long as it's not harming anybody, don't come to work high. And just, just be safe, guys. And if you party the night before, had a wild night, and you took a hit of the joint, I recommend you... I'm pretty sure not going to get drunk this next week, but if you do, look up the whole gallon of water, some creatine, and some vitamin B12, and I think that might help you guys out. Or you can rewind it and figure out the exact steps that Matt has stated before. But, guys, I'm sure you've, you know, I don't know if you heard about it or not, but everyone poops, everyone passes gas. Passing gas is completely normal. It's a key part of our, our life. Some people enjoy doing it more than others, but farts smell. They smell bad. And word on the street is, for some reason, if your patient smells a specific way or has a GI bleed, somehow... I don't know if it's skin. I don't know if our skin breathes it in or whatever happens to the body, but some, somehow our gut bacteria picks up on that shit. And what happens is your farts start smelling like your patient sometimes when you come home. Do you have that situation happen, Peter? That has happened to me a handful of times, especially if I get that patient that has like a GI bleed or someone on like CDF precautions or someone that has having diarrhea or, or just smelly, smelly poop. I don't know why, but it just transfers over, over to me. I, you know, I'd be walking around, you know, the crib and just pass a little bit of gas. I'm like, damn, dude, it smells like, it smells like Eugene's shit. Like, why does it, why does it <laughs> smell like that? You know, it's, it smells like a GI bleed. I ain't GI bleeding, but if somebody that just smells just lingers in your intestines and it's just, your farts just smell like a patient's smarts and your farts smell like a patient's farts and you know, and you know who, whose fart that is or whose smell of fart that is. And you have a nice little telepathic memory, like mother freaking Eugene, you said, man. Damn, Bob, you ripped the freaking nasty one. Sometimes that even happens from like two feeds, man. Like you smell it, you smell the two feeds. And sometimes that that scent is just like so ingrained that like your freaking damn bacteria are producing it, man. It's, it's almost like this. It's almost like this gut bacteria is like telepathic. I mean, we do say there's a mind gut connection, but is there a connection with the mind and the gut where it starts mimicking the the smell of the environment i'm not sure i mean think of i mean when you smell something you technically absorb it right and when the smell goes in your nose it has is technically going throughout your body like you know what i'm saying like if you breathe it in your like your lungs respiratory pathway you're like your lungs get clean like blood circulates through that that eventually something gets maybe hooked up to like the lymph the lymph system and it goes to your gi tract and it gets gets you know put out that way but i have no idea i don't know if i have something to do with the smell because i when i looked at the research there wasn't any kind of link with like you smelling stuff and and your poop or your, or your gas I'm, I'm thinking of a funny meme right now too so to answer, as, answer a quick question have you ever farted in your patient's room i'm not gonna lie i have farted more than once in a patient's room i don't know why I didn't go to the bathroom, which was totally, you know, probably the right thing to do. But sometimes you're just, you know, hanging out in a patient's room. They're sedated. Con- convenience. We got shit to do. That's what I'm saying. You just happen to walk by. You're changing the patient. You're turning him. He's sedated, intubated. So you just, you just let it rip, you know. And, you know, I mean, I haven't had anybody frown or make any kind of facial expression like they smelt it or, or anything. So, and they're not going to remember it because they're, they're sedated. So 
I mean, no, no far, no harm, no foul, I guess. It's true. It's, it's kind of funny too, when you're kind of like the, as the patients get older, they have less like, res, not that less respect They just give a shit and less about your opinion. And they're, they're, they're always like low key, just let her rip and don't say anything. Don't even say sorry. Even my grandpa, man, my freaking grandpa, like we're just like, you know, I'm coming by chatting with them, just rips one. I look him in the face. He just pretends like nothing ever happened, man. It's funny. Yeah. I wonder what that, I don't know how that, maybe it's like that they fart so often where they're, like anal tone or um, whatever you have, like maybe your anal tone is poor where it's just, they can't hold it in. It just, it just whatever has to come out, it just, it just comes out. And it's just like, it's so natural to them that these farts just keep coming out whenever they want to. It's just like a no big deal anymore because it, it's just what happens. I really don't know why that happens, man. But there is something that we know that for sure does happen when it comes to the poop phenomenon. That's basically that your body's able to Ooh, is that mine? No, it's me. Okay. <laughs> Damn, PD. What a rookie mistake there. But we know that after eating, our like gut bacteria gets like to work to like dissolving this substance. And as it's breaking down nutrition, it's picking up the odors that basically eating specific foods, right, produces specific gases. So mostly these things are odorless. But if you're eating a lot of foods containing sulfur, they will give you a lot of gas. Um, anything with hydrogen sulfide and ammonia, right? Yeah. So a lot of so basically your your red meats. Your red meats are are high in sulfur. They have a lot of sulfur, and they that are the ones that cause major majority of the of the gas. And like Matt said, typically food that we eat is going to be odorless, but then if it has sulfur, it's going to have those atomic atomic smells. Which, which is unfortunate, but this is, what, this is how it works. So a lot of times when people switch diets to like a, a keto diet, they increase their intake of, of meat. And that's why their farts tend to, tend to smell worse because they're eating a lot of, lot of sulfur, a lot of sulfur-containing meats. And same with like carnivore diets. Like if you're on an all-meat diet, your farts are probably going to smell, smell horrible because you're, you're eating everything that's, that's almost sulfur-based. You know? You're, you're going to eat chicken, which isn't a red meat, but then you're also going to for sure have some beef, some, some pork, and then you're going to have like pretty some nasty ones coming out of there. You know, So you know how we mentioned um, GI bleeds, which are smelling bad. You know, also smells bad, like when it comes to farts, is patients that um, are on the tube feeds, man. That stuff smells nasty. Tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that smells so bad. You had to tell me about it twice, huh? Yeah, man, tube feeds smell bad, and it's always loose, man. They always got some loose farts going on. Like I had a patient, I was like a young kid, man. And he was like, so malnourished with everything that was going on. They were doing like the trickling, trickling two feeds and like loose BM from like, you know, we get like, we love to give these patients if, um, hospitals are basically fascinated by poop and whether we like it or not, we always put patients on a, um, a bowel regimen, right? We always add colase, stool softeners, and they're so crazy. Even, um, in Kaiser where they have everybody chart poop at least like once a shift. So poop is a big deal in the hospital, man. And I'm trying to see where my point is here. <laughs> but this, this freaking poop. So much poop, huh? Poop everywhere. <laughs> I mean, just, just guys, just be mindful of what, of what you eat. Basically your dad's gonna, gonna be the cause of your, of your a poorly smelling farts. I'm eating so much of them. Like I'm like, whoa, these the crucivores vegetables like broccoli, cabbage, all of them 
onions, eggs, which are super, super healthy for you. Uh, onions and garlic are one of like the top anti-cancer medications or um, herbs, we should say. Beans, those are like the biggest culprits. So if you if you guys are consuming any of those, your bacteria is going to produce nasty gas. And also the artificial sweeteners. And I was so shocked when I found that um, stevia is on there. Even though they're saying it's plant-based, our body doesn't process it properly, right? Like the bacteria. That's, that's, that's correct. And then one that we failed to mention, I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not, but the people that have uh, intolerances or sensitivities to certain foods, like celiacs or gluten intolerance, obviously you're going to produce that bad gas because your body doesn't know how to break down these foods. And then these foods just kind of, you know, they don't go through the proper processes. And also constipation. So when you're constipated and you can't poop, the gas just stays there and just builds up. And some of that might not, not smell when it comes out is now being trapped there and it's just building on these odors. And when it does come out, it's, um, you know, atomic level kind of stuff. <laughs> just, and just to let you guys know about Peter's expression that he, he did there. When you have those constipated patients, like, and they're there, I take care of my work. I like to honestly put on a mask. I, I'm, it's not disrespectful. I know nurses that like double mask here. It's so funny. Like they even like put like, um, they, I forgot what they say. They use a special um, powder or some people take toothpaste and they put a toothpaste in between the masks and then double mask it just so they don't smell things like the stoma or something when they're cleaning um, the patients. That's a really good idea. What I, I do sometimes is um, I put coffee in the patient room, like coffee grounds. Okay. And I just, you know, like when you boil coffee, I just take the little, the paper thing and I put coffee and just put it in the patient room or I, or I put it by the nurse's station just because coffee sucks up the, the odor. Actually, I don't know what sucked it up or not, but coffee has 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 a strong. It has a rich aroma, so that covers the, the smell. I think that works better than because we have special spray that's like uh, it's me sprays. I don't know what what it's what it is, but it's like a odor limiter spray, which works fairly well too. But so usually I combine that with some coffee, and and it smells smells a lot better than a GI bleed. And for some people, you could you could even put coffee beans in your um, what's it called in the fridge, and it actually helps you with like odor, the like the stinky smell. But ultimately, you probably should clean your fridge at the end. But coffee yeah. is a great substitute for that. Yeah, clean your fridging, clean your colon with some with some juices and some enemas. Clean your patients' colons. And you know what's the worst sometimes when they drink those me- magnesium citrate. So for people, because it's funny, because we talk to nurses and non-nurses, so I feel like I have to cover both both sides. So if you're constipated and you really can't go, go buy some magnesium citrate. Magnesium literally helps like the, the, the stool. Is it like it really loosens up the intestines and you really, really go. Um, patients smell like that too, man, when they get that, because they just get a run. Or sometimes you give them a few enemas for the colonoscopies, man, they get they get the runs. Or that drink, what is like that drink called? People get uh, prior to a colonoscopy. I forgot what it's called. Completely it's like um, asbarium, just to help with lighting everything up for the. No, 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 the one that makes them poop. The one that makes them poop. What is that called? I forgot what it's called. I, well, I gave it to a patient like a week ago. I'm just blanking out on the name. Yeah, same. Well, in a hospital, when someone uh, needs to go a procedure like colonoscopy to check for like polyps or maybe poss- possibly a GI bleed, so they need to clean out that colon. They got to clean out those those uh, large intestines so, so like I actually see, so they can scope somebody, go down and see what's actually going on. And you can't do that if you if you have poop. So uh, we give these patients is like a 
it's like a lead. I think it's a leader or, or two leaders. I forgot. It's, it's been a while since I gave one. I think it's two leaders. I think you give them one leader at a time and they got to drink it, which literally makes them, makes them go all night, especially when you got a GI bleed and you give them this, this liquid, man, you're in for, you're in for, you're in for a treat. And the patients usually go like three, four times nonstop. Then if you have them on a med surge floor, it gets so much more tedious because Unfortunately, I feel like we have to baby patients sometimes in the hospital because of the fall risk. Like we cannot let them do anything. And sometimes the patients are stubborn. They get up, don't care because they got the shits and they could fall. Oh yeah. And then you got those patients that are intubated, sedated and you come in and they're like ankle deep in poop. And you're just like, ah, damn, here it goes. And it's like, you change it once and then you got them all nice and ready. And then two hours later, bang, same thing. If I have someone with a GI bleed and I give them that, that drink, whatever it's called, they usually at least go three times and that, and there's so much in there cause they're bleeding. So they're breaking down, down that blood. And plus if, I mean, their two are probably off, but they have so much stool there and so much blood where it's just continuous and it's just, just so much pooling in there. And you, know, I just, you know, I just thought about, so for some patients that have diarrhea and they have C. diff, sometimes we could put in an FMS, fecal management system or flexiseal. So I wonder, imagine putting them for the GI bleeds. I know it's probably contraindicated because they're, they're bleeding and kind of stuff something in their intestines, but that's actually a pretty good idea to prevent all that flow, man. Well, the thing is, is I love, um, I love, I love flexies, but the thing is that if it's not liquid, it does, it does not work. Like if that stool is somewhat formed, then it's not going to work at all. You're just going to make things worse. It's, it's, it's going to clog it up if it's not liquid. So, I'm going to tell you, I'll be the devil's advocate here. I feel like it does work. Nurses don't properly take care of them. So meaning when you have this fecal management system, you're supposed to flush it with 40 cc's of fluid and irrigate it. A lot of nurses don't do that. I had a patient on med surge floor that got brought up with the flexiseal and I asked the nurse, hey, did you, did you flush it this shift? She's like, oh, no. Well, because she was telling me it's thick. Well then, that's one problem. Second problem, the syringe wasn't even in the room. So who knows how long it's been since it's been irrigated. And then I had to call the ICU to get it um, tubed up because they didn't even carry them. So that's why I don't think people properly manage them too. I flush, I flush by a per shift because when those things work, man, it's, it's, it's a game changer, man. It's, it's so good. And when it works, I, I flush it. I make sure it works because when that thing comes out, it could be a whole ordeal, especially if they're on C. diff or any kind of precautions. And especially if they're liquid, liquid stool and, Flexi is like your, your, your best friend because that just drains. So I do make sure to flush mine every, every shift. I sometimes I, I do it twice, like before I leave. But yeah, but I don't know. For me, it, they only, for me, they only worked when it's literally like, like liquid because once they start becoming a little thicker for me, I don't know why they don't work. They just, they just, they just fall out. Maybe my patients have like poor anal tone, maybe because they're, they're just that sick. But I don't know. For me, if, once it gets a little bit formed, it's, it's a no-go. There's also a device where, you know how like you could stick something onto the body, you could like connect a little bag with a drainage system and it doesn't go in their butt fully in a, to like inflate it. It goes outside of their butt and you stick it onto them, but it doesn't really work that well. Yeah. There's also rectal tubes, which if someone's like, like really, really liquidy and it, it just keeps going nonstop, nonstop and a flexi isn't working. There's a rectal tube that goes in a little further and it looks like an actual Foley. Have you seen that before? And but like, is it the same one where you put on a finger and you stuff it in? I can't believe we're talking about this. So, so, funny. Looks a, looks a, so it's the same concept, yeah. But 
but it's just, I mean, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it, but like, you know how you have a flexi where the drainage bag, when it goes down, it's like thicker. It's like, it's like maybe like uh, two or three inches for the rectal tubes. It's literally like a Foley. It's like a Foley. Yeah, it's like a Foley. It's that, it's that thin. We'll look it up for the after show. And for, for those that um, are listening right now, we're actually creating a show on Patreon, which is going to be called the after hours. And we're just going to kind of talk off script, talk more in depth with our stories that we do daily because we can't share everything on the podcast and we have to be censored and we can't use the F word and Peter loves the F word. So we're, we're going to start um, implementing this and maybe in a couple of weeks we'll release um, how to sign up for that. Yeah, basically we just talk some shit after hours and we'll just talk some shit for you guys. Sometimes it's funny. It's cool. I like, I like talking shit. So it's yeah. always funny. Let's uh, let's bounce into um, the rookie mistakes we've all made as a nurse. And let's talk about mistakes because they do happen. And I think when you have a better output, outlook on things and you want to make mistakes and you're okay with it because failure creates and teaches you, then you're really going to enjoy the process. And that's the best way to learn as a nurse. Like you could read a textbook on how to prime an A-line, which we're going to talk about, or, you know, proper steps for tube feedings. But it's you're going to be tired and be exhausted. You're going to forget. And you just got to laugh about it. And then making make it a habit of not doing it again. I think understanding that other nurses make mistakes, and by us giving these examples of mistakes that, that we've made, that makes I feel like that makes nurses feel less guilty, and they don't feel as bad about themselves because these mistakes do happen to, to everybody. It happens multiple times, so don't feel incompetent because you made a mistake. I mean, we're gonna go over a handful of ones that that, that I made, I, and it just it just happens. Like you, like you're not perfect. We're not perfect individuals and like we're not robots. So like the first one that that always that always happened to me at the beginning when I became a nurse is I, f- I always forgot to clamp my A-line. And man, like though when you forget to clamp the A-line, usually you learn after your first your first time. But me being who I am, I it took you know, a, f- a few tries. But so an A-line, we know it's in your artery, so the pressure is high. So if you're trying to change out the tubing and you don't clamp, you don't turn a stopcock and turn it off that blood is going to shoot out and it shoots out pretty quick. It's not a vein where it just slowly goes. No, it, it, it comes out, man. And also if you're drawing blood, if you turn it the wrong way and you don't catch yourself, you're, you literally have blood coming out of your artery down to tubing and just shoots it right directly at you. And it's a freaking nasty scene. I seen when patients pull it out and you got blood squirting up to the damn wall, man, because that's how powerful your arteries are. It's crazy. And you gotta be careful because if you don't if you don't clamp it and you don't screw it on properly and blood is leaking uh, like around the cap, you know, people can lose a lot of blood. People can like lose blood. They're gonna lose blood pretty quickly, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be like a like a crime scene up 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 in that room. But I mean, I've I've done so much a lines now where I don't even clamp it anymore. I, I just I just do it real quick because you know you, you get you get used to changing them and you're just like you know I'm gonna be a little, a little riskier today. I'm just gonna not clap and switch it out real quick. That's awesome. I, I'm kind of jealous because I have not taken care of an A-line since I've been on a contract for over two months. <laughs> I'm just not getting these patients, man. Um, but I, what I do get a lot is like forgetting to clamp the damn NG. Um, or that happened to me as like, it happens even right now with two feedings because they're so tedious or you forget to press hold. But like sometimes you clamp it and you're trying to give medication um, and you're just pushing, pushing, pushing till it doesn't work. And you just squirts back at you literally all over your face or gallon or whatever you have. And that sucks. I have to ha- that happened to me one time and I 
learn my lesson, you know, you clamp that thing and just like, this thing going in and you know, it's not clogged because you used it before, or you think it's clogged and you're just like, I'm going to keep using pressure and you push it and go shoots you right in, right in the face. Or sometimes what, what happened to me before was I left it unclamped and didn't hook up the, the, the tube feeding and all the GI contents came out. Ooh. Yeah, all that tube feed that he got for the past couple hours came out. Another thing with with NG tubes or, or G tubes is, I don't. Uh, there was a one time it happened to me where um, I forgot to unclamp it and hook up the, the tube feeding, or I didn't unclamp it fully and it was still clamped and the literally the tube feeding got disconnected. It, it, it the pressure was building up and it's just enough pressure to make it pop out. Now that tube feeding went into the bed and I had to change the sheets. It's pain when in the I, ass. When I was in my ICU clinical, I literally, this is even before nursing. Like I literally did that where I, it wasn't, it was clamped, shot out. And it was literally a pool of freaking tube feed, the pillow dripping down the freaking room. And my instructor was crazy all the time. Like he just like always like was eyeing me and you know, he challenged me and I'm just like, whoa, I got so nervous, heart rate started sweating and I made a big deal out of it. And then a nurse came in, oh, it's not a big deal. And she kind of relaxed me a little bit because I was like freaking out as a new grad. Yeah, probably the probably the scariest mistake I've ever, I have ever done as a nurse is, is so sometimes with these swines, we get these uh, thick intros where they're not like your typical look essential line. It's a little, it's a little thicker. Maybe it has like one or two cc's more than like your regular line. And I disconnected the, the, the Neo and without you know, thinking that there is still Neo left in the line. I, I flushed it with like a saline flush and, you know, Neo is a, is a presser, you know, patient pressure shot up, alarm started to go, going off. People ran it cause it was like two hundreds over, over like, like one tens. I was like, fuck my life. I was like, damn, that that sucks, man. Like it, I was, I was so nervous. And like nurse practitioners came and was like, everything okay. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I just flushed um, a line full of Neo. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right, you just gotta be, you just gotta be careful next time. Like, just watch out with with your pressures. I'm like, yeah, I mean, damn. And it took a minute for the pressure to come down, man. It took like like a solid probably like 30, 40 seconds of me looking at the pressure, having it show there in the two hundreds, two tens, two fifteens. I was like, this guy's gonna stroke out on me. I'm gonna get fired. I'm losing my license. And if I slowly came down, I was like, I was like, all right, dude, never again, man. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go home now. Yeah, and sometimes if you have a line of um, levo, you you have to just just draw the blood back and get rid of it out of the tubing itself. But even if you accidentally flush it, even on a blood pressure cuff, you'll see that because within 15 minutes or something, you'll see that pressure high, or you'll see their change in um, their heart rate. They're going to get very tachycardic because of the the levo. Another one is like forgetting to detach the pressure bag when you're like spiking it or changing the tubing. Sometimes that will freaking shoot out on you, which is hilarious. I've never had I've never had that happen to me, but for my pressure bags, I always inflate them before I spike it. And people always come out to me are like, "Why are you inflating it before you before you spike?" You know, like it could shoot out. It hasn't happened to me. It hasn't happened to me um, yet, but I've seen it happen to nurses and <laughs> like the pressure bag. You know, it's pressurized, so it's kind of it's probably pressurized to. I'm not sure what the exact number is, but it's putting out like about, I think three cc's an hour. I believe that's like the rough, rough estimate, but yeah. So yeah, when you spike it and you edit, it doesn't spike properly or, you know, you don't fully get it in. There's pressure. So it just shoots down and a hole through your bag comes out. I also, I don't know if you've ever done that before. Like sometimes when you're very, very tired and sometimes you don't look at your tubings, you'll connect that antibiotic too. And you don't even realize it's connected. It just like leaked. 
or you connect a antibiotic to the secondary unit, realize that it's not connected and just starts pouring on the, on the, on the floor if it's not clamped. Right. That has to be, yeah, that has to be handful times too. Or you have them hang at, at, the, at the same length and the ceiling starts going into your antibiotic. You're just like, why is this filling up? Like, oh damn, I didn't clamp it. Yeah, that happens. Or running the pump forgetting that it's clamped and you look up, you're like, Oh shit, it's been an hour, but the antibiotic is still there and I have another one to go. And now you're kind of like you're behind and it sucks. And it's all part of learning, man. It's funny. Yeah. Happens to all of us. There's been a handful of times where I went into the room and uh, there's still a full antibiotic hanging. I'm like, Hey, you didn't, you're on clamp. You're like, Oh shit. Sorry. I'm like, yeah, it's all good. Just run it right now, I guess. It just makes it look bad sometimes. Even like yesterday, yesterday, like I didn't check my orders properly where there was a Levo order and it's a little different in here because they titrate Levo by uh, mics per kg. They don't do it like mics per, uh, is it mics per minute per hour or whatever, where it's like you're titrating from one mic to 20. It's a little different here. You go like 0.05. That's how you start titrating it. Really? Anyways. It's very, very strange, but the weight changed. So they ordered Levo twice. The pharmacist originally had it for 90 kilograms. And if you're in the ICU and it's handoff of care, you have to hand off the rate. So you scan the bag and you're verifying the weight of the Levo. And it was off by like 10 kilograms all night. And, oh, I, sure. kind of felt, and I felt bad because I was orienting the nurse, the travel nurse. It happens, you know, somebody's just kind of, so as you've been doing this, this for so long, you kind of um, just do an autopilot and you don't realize what you're doing or you don't always fully check everything and, you know, things slip, slip off and this happens, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about that in your medical field where you're dealing with human beings and, and their lives, but mistakes do happen and this is this how it works. And this nurse was very chill. She was understanding it's fine. It's okay. The, the main thing is, is that you're titrating the medication up as the blood pressure is dropping. So technically you're still doing the purpose of the medication. It was just like off by a few units, which is not life and death in this case, because you're troubleshooting. Um, and another one I wanted to mention is, this is probably for males or females, both is putting the Foley catheters in the females. I feel like as a, as a rookie, sometimes it takes a couple of try, or sometimes you go into the, the vagina hole by accident and you have to get another kit because technically it's not sterile anymore or technically yeah. it is not sterile anymore. What I recommend for that is to leave that in a, in a vagina, just leave that Foley in the vagina and then grab another Foley. And then that way it's easier for you to get a urethra because there's already a Foley in the vagina. So instead of pulling it out, just leave it in there up until you get it in the, in the urethra. Cause sometimes it's hard. Sometimes just the, the anatomy, especially if you got like a heavier, heavier set woman, it's, it's just hard to find and it takes a few tries. I would also mention pick lines sometimes forgetting to do little things, which gets tedious, forgetting to do the caps. Pick lines, not so much. Let's see. I'm trying to think how else I may have made mistakes as um, as a new nurse. I think that's all the ideas I have. I have for now. I'm sure I've made plenty of more more mistakes, but uh, I guess sometimes people hang the wrong drips, especially if it's like because some medications are light sensitive, so they have that brown bag over them. I'm not sure how to do it in your hospital, but for us, some are light sensitive where you got to have that brown bag over them over them because they don't last as long when the light hits it. So uh, nurses have grabbed a wrong medication just because it's in a brown bag, and they grab. Sometimes they grab like an epi instead of a levo and, you know, it's, it's just happens, you know. I've also made like a mini med error where, and it was reported, where I 
didn't, I wasn't checking the orders. Sometimes things fall off the mar, but you could still scan them. And it was vancomycin where I, I, I underdosed the patient technically, which is still an error. Instead of giving like 1.75 grams, it was one gram. And the pharmacist like last minute reordered it, didn't notice. And I was even orienting and I had to tell my, um, instructor, not instructor, but my, um, preceptor. And I, I kind of felt so shitty about it, but that was my first time where I'm just like, okay, it's okay. It happens, Matt, you're learning, you know, like loosen up on yourself. It happens, man. They don't feel bad about it, guys. Like nurses make mistakes. Some mistakes are, you know, more costly than others, but you know, mistakes do happen. Just be a little bit more vigilant and just try to, you know, be aware of what you're doing. Don't always be in, be an autopilot. Just be a little bit more vigilant. So let's wrap up this episode. How do you feel? You feel ready for that one? Ready for what? A lot of ready to go. Poop, a lot of poop talk. You gotta have <laughs> some gas. No, I'm actually I'm actually okay. Um, I had a nice bowel movement today, so I'm 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 chilling right now. I'm good. It's funny in this hospital they go so crazy about bowel movements. You have to chart zero like every couple hours or at least once per shift. Really? Yeah, they're very anal about it. Like if they're they very anal chart. About- they want you to chart one bowel movement per shift. Like if they don't, if they didn't go, at least put zero. Oh, okay, okay. I thought felt it's like do want to poop in once per shift. I'm like, dude, that'd be a lot of work, man. That'd be a whole thing on the side of taking care of your patient. Hey, did he poop today? Okay, well, let's get some colas. Let's do an enema. Maybe in two hours. Let's that that'd be pretty intense. That would be very intense. That'd be very intense. Right, you want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up, boy. All right, guys. Well, hey guys. So. Today, we talked about the poop phenomenon. Why our poop smells like our patient's poop? Why our poop smells like a GI bleed, even though we're not GI bleeding? It's due to the foods you, the foods you eat. A lot of sulfur-containing foods make the smelly odors. We talked about there's some mistakes we've made and that other nurses have for sure made themselves. And let's talk about marijuana. We why, talked about, go ahead. Marijuana about why you can't smoke unfortunately as a nurse because it's not on a federal level and if you do try don't tell your job if you're about to take a drug test and also we talked about how to pass a drug test by manipulating things like taking some creatinine drinking a lot of water well you have to listen to the full episode to learn about that thank you guys have a going guys peace out see you guys next week